Welcome to the Ask Brian Podcast Radio Show, where you'll hear from some of the most successful founders and CEOs of businesses and startups, sharing their best advice for success and even some stories on how their mistakes actually make them even more successful. Now, here are your hosts, Brian and Tracy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You're listening to the Ask Brian Radio Show on KHS 1220 and 98.1 FM. Well, every week we have a show where we try to help entrepreneurs and business owners learn something about business. And the name of that show is called Ask Brian, A-S-K-B-R-I-E-N. And for some reason... There might be one or two people out there that haven't listened to the show, and I don't know why. You know, obviously, you just didn't get the message, but we're going to give you the message that you need to be listening to the show on a weekly basis. So, everybody says, my name is Peter. Why aren't you Ask Peter? Why are you Ask Brian? Well, that was because we couldn't get the domain name. But also, the E in Brian stands for many, many things. And we have an engineer, and yes, engineer does begin with an E. So I took one away. We're an engineer, Matt. And Matt's going to try to help out our audience and try to explain why. Why do we use the E and ask Brian, and what does it stand for? I mean, I don't understand. Why? 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 Give me one reason. I mean. One reason. I just you want know, one. Peter, I wish you could have got that domain name because to be fair, Peter has two E's in it. Exactly. I mean, it was a perfect fit. Good job, Matt. Thank you. Well, Thank other you. people have, but that's you know the show's been on for five and a half. No, years. no one ever. I'm the first. <laughs> okay. Well, no one, no one ever has since I've been on the show, and it's been like ten years. That is correct. That's, that's crazy. Do you, some statute of limitations for recognizing you. <laughs> Tracy, do you spell your name with two e's at the end, or is it i e, or is it y? Which is it? No, but I do have two e that's deformed. That okay. But Tracy does not have an E. Okay. It's not. Well, there's a the board. You can't be on the show without an E. (laughs) I have one in my last name, but (laughs) there's many reasons why we call it Ask Brian and why we spell it with an E. One of the big ones is, and I'm bringing it up because I just got this new pair of shoes. They don't really fit me so well, but it's because E is. Well, we don't empathize on this show, so don't even try going that way. What? E is for (laughs) empathy because. Yeah. Being in someone else's shoes, that helps you understand the audience. Well, uh, we've already gone through this many, many times. All right. So nobody, nobody can fit in my shoes. So therefore, if you can't fit in my shoes, you can't empathize with me. What size are you? 920. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Is that in metrics or what, what are we talking here? US? Millimeters. Oh. <laughs> okay. I think one of the most important is entrepreneur. Because a lot of, actually, really all of our listeners are entrepreneurs and business owners. I think that's correct. And uh, entrepreneurship is really, really much bigger than it was. Back in, I'd say, even the 1960s and 70s, we always had entrepreneurs. But it didn't seem like everybody's goal was to be an entrepreneur. They seemed to be a different E. They wanted to become an employee. Employee. Employee as opposed to an entrepreneur. Ah, So three E's in We switched from employees to entrepreneurs. Okay. And if you look at it and look at reality-wise, more people are trying to become an entrepreneur today than probably at any point in our history. And, of course, we have the free enterprise system, which is another E. 
How could I forget? How, how could you forget? I, I'm sorry. Tracy was, was like, I've never forgotten that one. <laughs> I was too busy thinking about September, which has three E's in it, which also has all of our <laughs> birthdays in it. Well, that's true. And I have still have to tip my hat for that because it is all of our birthdays. Matt. Not my birthday. Well. Not my birthday. I guess you'll have to come on a different show next time. All right. <laughs> Myself. And why don't you introduce yourself? I'm Precious. The assistant engineer, and I help with the Facebook language. And we all have birthdays within six days of each other. Different years, but six days. No way. What astrological sign does that make? And look, we put this happy birthday sign up for you in the studio. Can you turn the camera? Can you turn the camera? That I don't think we can do. This show gets crazy enough already. Now you want (laughs) us malfunctioning with the other, with the equipment here. All right. Next time I got you. But does everybody have their ears plugged? Because the next D is for excitement (laughs) oh my god matt i can't even see you but i can hear the trepidation (laughs) i took my headphones off i am okay for now we'll see i'm going to the doctor tomorrow Uh, and i'm going to introduce him to sam kinsian who is the screamer so he can learn all about him i'll give him some youtube videos because the screamer really well you could just forget all about him and that would even be better It's just gonna be like that movie where you're gonna like tape my eyes open, put drops in them. So well, go watch, watch the movie. Uh, I think it was it wasn't Back to School. What was the movie with Rodney Dangerfield? Anyway, I'll have to get the name of it. But he was in that movie, and he was actually a teacher. Plus Saturday Night Live. That's where he got his start. No respect. I get no respect. Well, that's Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> Rodney Dangerfield's way way old. He's uh, he's so old. I don't remember when he started. But well, how about this? We'll conclude here. Well, it depends on what E you're going to give me, because there's at least two more that we need to go over. Okay. Well, it's your show. So however you want to go about it, Peter. (laughs) You were talking about ego before the show. My ego. I think it's your ego. I have a very little ego. (laughs) My ego is so small. (laughs) We're not going to touch that one. E is for experts, because our guests are experts in their field. But in order to become an expert, what do you need? It is a rigorous, long trial. This is as hard as calculus to go. You need 10,000 hours to become an expert in any field. So whether it's baking cakes or baking, I don't know, donuts, it could be just about about anything. How about a Krispy Kreme? A Krispy Kreme donut. I'm a Dunkin' Donuts kind of guy. (laughs) You're in East, you're in New York. (laughs) Krispy Kreme, come on. Well, I'm an A-clayer person. Well, basically, you need to get 10,000 hours. You break it down piecemeal, and you go 52 weeks in a year on Earth, as we uh, confirmed here on the That's right, show. because on different planets, different hour, yeah. weeks, you know. Exactly. Venus is going to be a lot shorter. They gets around the sun a lot quicker. Exactly. We know Peter's from Mars, so he's just getting adapted to be well, here but on that, Earth. That, that's why it only takes six months, because it takes so many years to get around the sun on the planet Mars. Right, exactly. So 52 <laughs> weeks, we're going to give you two weeks off for vacation, get a little R&R, 40 hours working per week. Although we said last week that if you're an entrepreneur, a new entrepreneur. I don't know any entrepreneur that's working 40 hours a week. In fact, if you find me one, let me know. You might be able to get away with 95 to 100 hours. Not, maybe. A, not a successful one, at least. <laughs> well, that is true, too. Right. Successful. So we're talking about 40 hours a week times 50 weeks in a year. It's 2,000. You need at least five years. But hey, could be two and a half if you're really a go-getter and you're working those 80 hours a week. So I'm going to take over and do the last one because we do need to make sure the last one gets in. And that is 
education. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> well, because I'm hoping that you're going to be using the last one to turn to me. So I can do my favorite one. I know it, but education is just so important on this show. We do have to. Oh, I mean, it is. But I thought that was going to be my thing. All right. So it's Grease Lightning. Because we are electrifying. <laughs> well, then you have to do that whole song, Grease Lightning, dun, 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 where he does the, where he points the finger on the, the car. Yep. Because that's the thing that I John, I cannot sing like you. <laughs> I technically don't really look like you either, but I do really, really love electrifying. <laughs> well, one out of five isn't bad. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well. Our guest, who is, may have left the show and said, what did I get myself into? Why am I here? And that's the last time I'll ever do a favor for Peter. But anyway, without any further ado, how do you spell it, do? I believe it's A-D-I-U. And why do I like that word? Because... It has one consonant, and the rest are all vowels. Woohoo! All right. Yay! Woo! Where's your little friend? We don't have the sound effect, but we'll make it. I'm working on it. He's, 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 he's learning, eventually. Peter's walking in, and he's expecting <laughs> me to just make magic happen here. Well, but exactly. I, I, I need a tiny. I make a... magic every week, and so does Tracy. <laughs> so, uh, Bill, are you there? I am. I am. Absolutely. All right. And there is an Ian, absolutely. So, question for you. I know you've been on the show once or twice before, not, but not everybody knows who you are. I know you had a background in donuts, something along that line. But let's just quickly go over your background, maybe maybe a minute or two, just to go over your background and what you're doing now. Well, you know, first I want to make sure, like Engineer Matt said, that I have my 10,000 hours in. So I was counting as he was talking about that. I hope I've reached that. but. In my career, I've been a distributor, marketer, manufacturer. I've traded commodities around the world, lived in China for two years, trading in Southeast Asia, but I've traded in commodity space virtually everywhere in the world. I've been in the food space for a long, long time, built brands like Krispy Kreme Donuts that you mentioned earlier, Snapple Ice Teas, Crystal Geyser Waters, to name a few, a lot of brand building. So I've been at this for quite a bit, for quite some time. Approximately five years ago, we launched a company named Albany Farms and with the idea of becoming one of the larger food companies in the United States and ultimately elsewhere. Our core product is a ramen noodle, a ramen soup. And with that, we've, we've done quite well and we're building a brand called Twisted Noodle. And most of the folks should see it in their local stores here in the coming weeks. And we're real excited about an initial launch we're producing in the USA with U.S. products, which is unique in our space. And so we're really excited. So now the tough questions come on. So what has been your biggest challenge in taking it from, okay, I got this company and this idea with ramen noodles to actually making a real live product that can be sold on store shelves? Well, this has been unique in our situation. Typically, I might say, you know, who you bring near you as partners and colleagues and employees, certainly finance is part of it. I don't think finance is the number one initially, but it takes, it becomes your primary obstacle as you grow and as you scale and as you have needs to accommodate your sale. 
Yeah. So it's been challenging this time in a unique way because we've had to see through COVID. And initially we were importing uh, ramen noodles and that was just before COVID and then COVID struck. And so why would it impact a company like ours? Well, we were importing. And for example, the cost of a container that was $1,100 out of Southeast Asia suddenly ballooned at a maximum of $25,000 per container, which in the food space makes, you know, doing that business basically impossible. So we decided to launch with U.S. manufacturing, but that creates its own challenges because of cost. Machinery at a minimum is millions of dollars a piece. You know, acquiring buildings and space and infrastructure and employees, it's quite the task. It, uh, it, it's a lot. But we've been able to see through it. We've been able to see through pipeline drags with, with our raw materials, which would include, you know, our equipment, which includes anything from little filters for our machines to, to major parts, to people, to truck issues, to getting things transported. But we've seen all through all of that. It's been quite a journey. And we're finally at a production phase right now. And how long that was that process? Well, the process to get to where we're at today has been about 13 months, which considering that we started at zero, knowing we needed to do U.S. production to where we're at today is, is pretty incredible. But it just really alludes to the fact that I have a lot of great colleagues who have all stepped in, worn many, many hats. You know, when you're Essentially, a startup, you know, physicians aren't defined. You have many, many roles that you wear. And so for myself, it, you know, I always tell people, what, what do you do at CEO? Well, I do anything from being a janitor to running the company and anything in between. It's, it's really whatever it takes to get the job done. And I've been blessed in that I have a lot of problem solvers that are colleagues as well. So when there's an issue... We, you know, we pitch in and get that resolved and find a solution. And I think that's what's helped us the most, actually. So you mentioned that the cost of a container went from $1,100 to $25,000. That's about, you know, 23, 24 times. So my question for you is, how many, how many ramen noodles can fit in a container? Approximately. So an estimate. Is, yeah, give or take about. Let's see here. It's roughly, I'll give you a case. It's about 7,000 cases per container. But the, the challenge is in the food space, you really work off of lesser margin when you're in food for the most part. And so we're not in a position to absorb significant increases. Of course, in my entire career, and I've been at this for 25 years, I've never experienced anything like COVID and the impact that it's had for companies from a financial perspective and, and, and availability of supply. So it, it's been very, very unique, but immediately it became impossible. We went from a 30 to 40% margin to more than a hundred percent loss. I mean, it was that bad. So very, very significant. And we had to stop immediately. And, and we decided we were going to go to U.S. production eventually anyway, but we had to move a lot sooner. And I mean, literally in a matter of weeks, which is not an easy thing to do. When you lock up supply with a, a manufacturer, you typically have to lock between four to six months worth of supply to, uh, you know, just to have that continuous availability. So it was a real big challenge for us, but we saw through it. And, and like I said, we're at a point of, 
supplying some major retailers as we speak. So we're really excited. That's really interesting. I can't imagine any product that I'm aware of where the shipping cost could go up, you know, 23 times in a very, very short time frame. I mean, they talk about inflation being 8% or gas prices going up from $3, you know, to $5. But when you're going, that'd be equivalent to gas prices going from $5 a gallon to $125 a gallon. I think that would be a significant problem for anybody. Well, and it wasn't just that. It was also the availability of employees, not just here, but elsewhere. Remember, COVID is something that when it initially hit, it was in Southeast Asia and went from there. But, you know, we didn't know at the time to what scale it would be. So we continued on for a short period of time until we realized, oh, my gosh, the whole global pandemic word came out. And and we realized that this was going to be at a minimum many, many months, you know, as far as an issue with transportation. But it was also with manufacturing. It was also with traveling to our manufacturer to watch production. We couldn't do that because you couldn't travel. So we couldn't watch manufacturing. The manufacturer couldn't get employees because the employees were locked down wherever they were at. And then you had lockdowns here. So it wasn't just the fact that you couldn't get containers and, or if you did, they were ridiculously priced, but then it was trying to get trucks, trying to get equipment, trying to get parts, trying to get the raw material. Which is why, you know, the, the end product was a lot of empty shelves in stores. I'm sure most people that are listening, they experienced at least some of that. And, you know, a real funny or kind of unique kind of thing is if people recall during COVID, there were three items, not two, that were in incredibly short supply. You heard of two of them, but there was a third. And what was it? It was anything, you know, sanitizing wipes or anything antibacterial. It was toilet paper. Well, look it up. The third thing was ramen noodles, believe it or not. And why is that? Because the majority of the ramen noodles were imported. If they weren't imported, they got a lot of the raw materials were imported, whether it was packaging, seasoning, the noodles themselves or, or other thing. And so if they can't get their product, they can't produce the product or finish packaging the product, which means it doesn't get to store shelf. If you can't get a container, you can't put bikes that are made in Southeast Asia and get them here. It's not just food. It was across the board. And so that's why you saw empty shelves. And the interesting thing that's come from it is retailers now have learned, gee, we better not rely on folks that rely on imported product. And quite frankly, as a country, we shouldn't either. Our food supply should be something near and dear and precious to us so that we know that no matter what, we feed our people. And I think the retailers now are acutely aware of that, and now are segueing toward U.S. manufacturing. But does that affect inflation and cost? I mean, if you start to say... Well, it will. Yeah, you know. of course it will. Uh, you, you have no choice. If a manufacturer is paying significantly more across the board, it's going to impact the, the consumer. I mean, it impacts the retailer, and they have to pass it on. And so, yeah, it will have. But fortunately, there's been lots that have been done to to limit or mitigate that, that cost effect, but it's going to happen and it's going to happen more and more, unfortunately, because the cost of raw materials, the availability of products and services is very, very difficult to come by. So yeah, it's going to have a, an impact. All right. So Tracy, every week, my co-host always likes to do the famous word. It doesn't begin with an E, doesn't even have an E in it, but she thinks it does. <laughs> the word pivot. I do not. I know how to spell pivot. I know how to spell P-I-V-E-T. I'm not, I, 
I know how to spell it. I just like to talk about it. So, <laughs> I'm going to pivot our conversation to your entrepreneurial trajectory. Nice knowing you, Bill. I would. <laughs> you've done, you have created an amazing brand. You have worked in a lot of different facets of businesses. And I'd love if you would just share with our audience, you know, what has been your entrepreneurial path? Okay. Well, happy to do it. So my second year of college, I had a roommate who was working, delivering bread, of all things, for a bread company. I'm trying to remember the name of it. I can't. Wonder Bread, I believe. And he was making $1,200 a week. And at that time, I'm in my 50s. So at that time, that was a lot of money. And I wanted some of that. So what I did is I got involved and went down and actually got a job and did about two weeks. And I realized that I could buy distribution areas. And so I bought one and then two and then three. And the entrepreneurial bug bit me at that point. And I've been it ever since. So from there, I purchased typically food, but also non-food distribution routes different locations. I've traded commodities for many years. I lived in China for two years, trading commodities in Southeast Asia, basically uh, India, Bangladesh, Burma, and China and the Philippines. Did a lot of that. I've traded commodities in South America, in Brazil, Venezuela, and Chile, a little bit out of Mexico. So been involved in lots of different places doing, but always as my own boss always as an entrepreneur. And that, you know, that's good. And it's also incredibly challenging, but I've gotten used to that and, and have learned ways to, to lessen the challenges, you know, that anybody faces when they're starting up as an entrepreneur with a, with a startup. And, you know, I haven't always succeeded. There's been areas where I've learned, you know what, I better move on from this and find other things. But I've also found some significant success. I've been very fortunate. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you about as the founder and CEO of your current Albany Farms, your, you know, your current role, what has been one of your biggest challenges? And I think your entrepreneurial journey probably hasn't made this as big of a challenge in this specific role, but where I'm going with this question is there are a lot of founders who have a very difficult time with delegation, coming out of, especially in from going from that startup role or the founder slash CEO to really fully embracing and stepping into a CEO role and delegating other positions and, and bringing on hires to do things because they've been all things to all people like you were sharing earlier. So what is one of the suggestions that you can make to a founder who's also operating as a CEO who really wants to release some of the, those all things to all people role and really embrace the role of the CEO? Well, you know, it's a great question. I, I think that if one thing that I could share that I've learned through the years is, you know, transitioning from founder to operator is a significant move. And sometimes I think we get confused in that. And, and certainly that's been a challenge earlier in my career. That was real difficult. It's not now. I think that, um, you know, it, from my perspective, you've got to have, you've got to be able to transition. And being a CEO is very specific 
from my perspective. I think that it's a, you know, it's an important role in any company, but really a CEO is only as valuable as the people that he has around him. And so I think it's not, it's not as almighty and powerful as people perceive it to be. And I can say that as a CEO, I think it's more about the people that you have with you and having them in a position to succeed. Does that mean micromanage? Does that mean have everybody in their position? Sometimes, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I've learned, and then this is my current management style, is that I let people find their position. They'll come in in a certain role, but sometimes it morphs into something else. But one of the things that I do is I like to find problem solvers around me as an operator, because problem solvers, if you really think about it, and, and others have said the same thing, but I think the interesting thing about a problem solver is, first and foremost, what does that mean? That means that they're going to stick to it. A problem solver is one, because there's a lot of folks that work at a position and they expect X because they come from it in a, in a different, at a different company at a different time. Well, that's not necessarily what a startup and what a newer company that's growing needs to have, because there will be problems almost every single day. Sometimes it's every hour. So you want problem solvers in there. And I think that a more simple way of saying a problem solver is actually saying somebody that is tenacious and somebody that has stick to itiveness. In other words, they see through the issue because you can't solve a problem if you don't stick to it. And so the, the greatest success I've had are in people that take initiative and find solution and stick to it. The worst employees I've had typically are incredibly well-trained, but they're trained at Nabisco or Quaker or some other very large company where things are done a certain way. And with a startup, it just isn't that way. So I think that as an operator, that's one of the most important things that I've come to learn through the years. So we were talking through the importance of terms of really hiring problem solvers as one of the key traits that you look for in people that want to work alongside you with you to help grow the company. What is the great way that you identify that type of person and personality? I know a lot of companies are complaining about labor shortages and the quiet quitting and the great resignation. So what are some of the tips that you may have in terms of recruiting and having a high retention for the key employees that you do find? Well, you know, I think that's also a really good question, Tracy. And I think that with me, what I've learned is when I interview people or when people close to me are doing interviews, we typically are not as structured. I shouldn't say we're not as stringent in what we mention as requirements. Instead, we try to get as much feedback from the prospective employee. So we'll mention a, a possible position or a possible area and listen to them with what they think to that and what they think, you know, it will we'll say that if we had this issue, what would you think about that? And, and again, sometimes it's just your, your gut feel. You can tell when somebody is not only interested, but they're also interested in finding solution. And there are also many times when you can pick up on the fact that somebody's looking for something that is similar to what they've done before. And, and I'm not saying that they're not good employees. It's just for us and particularly for anybody out there that has a startup. I don't think those are the ideal employees. I think the ideal employee is one that is willing to be, I think even before 
it's, it's easy to say that you want problem solvers, but I think even a more simple premise is you need to get a feel for somebody that's going to stay and be committed. And I think the way you do that is you get as much input from the prospective employee as possible. One of the things that we talk about is that we empower our employees and our colleagues and our partners. We empower them to find better solutions. We do the same thing with our outsourced, our vendors and stuff. It's the same thing. We go to them and say, look, we're going to challenge you. What can you do to supply us in a better, from a better perspective? What thoughts do you have? What ideas do you have walking through our plant? I mean, this is, this has just been very successful for me in my career. And also I think it's helpful because it, it helps people realize that the sky is the limit because they have input. They're not put into a position and pigeonholed with responsibilities. You know, they're given the latitude. You know, I'm not afraid to have an employee make a mistake. I'll always say to people, particularly in management, I'd rather them make a decision and make the wrong decision than make no decision. No decision to me is failure when you're a startup. So you need to constantly be moving, preferably forward, but you need to be moving all the time. So from my lens, that's what I look for. Amazing. And when you're looking at targeted growth, so again, changing the direction of the conversation a bit, you were talking about a lot of the things that kind of came out of of nowhere for you, like the pandemic did for everybody. But now those changes, those impacts, they're starting to settle down just a little bit. What is the growth trajectory for Albany Farms? Are you expanding product lines? Are you honing the existing product line that you have? What is the growth trajectory for Albany Farm? Well, so in the next 12 months, we expect when we're just launching production now, we anticipate being approximately a $100 million company. We anticipate year two more than doubling that. So we're going on a very, very rapid growth rate. Not that I recommend that for others. We're very fortunate in that most of our team, we've been in the business a long time. I was going to say long-winded. We're also that. So we've been in the business a long time and we have a lot of professionals, a lot of food professionals, so we can do more than perhaps what some others can do. But so we're, we're growing at a very, very rapid rate. Our plan is to be the number one ramen noodle company in the country. That's our aspiration. We think we're going to get there. But additionally, we're, we're in the wheat belt in South Dakota. So there's lots of other wheat-based products that we're looking at in the near future. And then we're going to get into uh, healthier products as well. And that's also on the agenda. We can share more about that a bit later. But if I can really very quickly just talk a little bit about the suggestions that I have for new entrepreneurs, here's what I would do personally. I'd save all the money you possibly could. I would go to LegalSteps.com, LegalSteps with a V, and I would peruse the site. I would, if you're starting a company, whether it's incorporating or a limited liability, but I would look at that. I think currently it's only set up for California, but there will be other states here shortly. And I would save money. You'd save, probably save close to $1,000 to do it yourself and get it set up. Save all the money that you possibly could. Surround yourself with a terrific team of people that are going to stay with you and grow with you. And obviously problem solvers. And the most important thing that I can tell you of all is stick to it. If you believe in it, Don't let anything get in your way. Have that wall mentality where you're willing to walk through a wall to continue on. Do not give up no matter what, no matter what, because everybody or a lot of people are going to be out to knock you down 
Investors are going to laugh at you. Banks are going to laugh at you. You're going to make a thousand investor calls and get laughed at. You're going to talk to other people and they're going to say, what the heck are you doing? If you believe in it, stay at it and you'll find success. So absolutely true for anybody who has tried to grow a business. They know passion, consistency, showing up and showing up again and again is such a absolute integral part of success. So if you missed those tests or for whatever reason you missed anything about this episode or you just want to listen to it again for motivation and inspiration, maybe even just to laugh, then we want to make sure you know that Ask Brian is available as a podcast on all of your favorite podcast listening platforms. You can search Ask Brian, that's A-S-K-B-R-I-E-N, Ask Brian, the podcast. And we would love it if you would follow it and share it with your friends. And if you really, really love the podcast, which as much as you love the show, which I'm sure you do, feel free to leave us one of those golden five-star reviews that we appreciate so much. And how can people get in touch with you? Because you've provided us such great information. I know people are going to want to reach out to you and maybe even ask you to mentor them. Wouldn't that be amazing? How can people get in touch with you? Well, yeah, absolutely. So the best way to reach me is on our albanyfarms.com website. So it's A-L-B-A-N-Y-F-A-R-M-F.com. And there's a contact website. And certainly any message is directed at me. But I've got a team that is just as talented, if not more so than myself. And if there's anything that we can help with, I'm more than happy to do so. We have very little time left, but one of the questions that people were asking is, why is the name company Albany Farms when you're not based in Albany? You know, I went to a company that creates names for you and had about 200 names. None of them made or they just didn't impress me. Actually, I think I got dizzy after looking at quite a, a few of them. <laughs> and so I went to Google and I just for some reason said, wait a minute, what about city? Because I wanted to resonate with people across the country. And the number one city in the U.S., I, I'm sure it still is, is Springfield. Well, there's a lot of Springfield out there, but there's also a couple of food brands that are Springfield. So I went with what I think was next or third and it was Albany. Well, I happened to be in Albany, New York. I happened to be, you know, Empire State Building where you walk in on the first floor and you look ahead and it says Albany, New York at the capital of New York. And so I thought, you know what? I just think this is meant to be. And I think it would resonate with people. And we get contacted all the time. People in Albany, New York, Albany, Georgia, Albany, California, Albany, Texas. I mean, there's 27, I think, cities that are Albany. And I just think it creates that a little bit of comfort with people. No, it's not the exciting, cool, hip, you know, new name. It could have been a lot of different things. But I think with a food product, it resonates with people that consume food. And so, yeah, we're pretty happy about it. Well, thank you very much, Bill. You've been a great guest. Thanks, Tracy. Till next week, the Yes, Brian Radio Show, KHS 1220 and 98.1 FM. Over and out! Thank you for tuning in to the Ask Brian Radio Show. You can listen to us every Thursday on KTHS AM 1220 and FM 98.1 or via Facebook Live or anytime wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit AskBrian.com to join the conversation and ask us your business questions and we'll answer them on our next episode. That's AskBrien.com.